Isn't that exciting? I love the creativity of our staff and our team in the midst of an ever-changing world. Calvary New Orleans is on point with this mission and ministry here in New Orleans, and VBS Weekends are a part of that. So you don't want to miss out. Register your kids, your grandkids, go get your neighbors involved. You don't want to miss Friday and Saturday nights, three weekends coming up, not this weekend, but the next, I believe, um, calvaryneworleans.com slash vbsweekends is where you want to check it out. And listen, in case you're wondering what we're doing, Friday night is what would typically be our VBS worship rally. And you as parents, you're all invited to participate with your kids that night. And so it's going to be a real unique experience. And then Saturdays are what typically would be the rotation days. And so this, these weekends have been crafted to really re-engage our kids in a great next level. And so you don't want to miss it. If you know somebody, make sure they go online, make sure they register, make sure they let us know that they're going to be there because we can't wait to engage with your children over VBS weekends. I'm Pastor Bo. If you're new to Calvary, I'm the associate pastor today, and I'm excited to continue to walk with you through the book of Ephesians. We've been walking through Ephesians this summer, and today we've got another great passage, Ephesians chapter 4, if you want to be turning there. Um, we're going to read in verse 17, and, and I want to set the stage a little bit about our topic this morning. I, I want to talk to you about walking. That pretty interesting. Doesn't sound real spiritual, does it? But I want to talk to you for a second about walking because the reality is in this passage, Paul starts out by talking about walking with God. Don't walk as the Gentiles do, but walk with God. And the reality is, as I was thinking about the passage this morning, thinking about this idea of walking with God, I've begun to realize how important walking really is. Think about the importance of walking for a second in our lives, the importance of mobility. You know, I, I think back as I think about this topic to my daughter, who's now five, but when she was first learning her steps, right? You as parents in the room, you can relate to this. And you can remember those early days where you're trying to teach your child how to walk, right? They start crawling around, but you don't want to leave them crawling. You want to get them to where they start to take steps, right? And how exciting it is as you do that. I'll give you a little insight into my personal life. Um, the story goes with my parents that I was not so excited to begin walking. Um, I was kind of a lazy child. And so, um, and I, I, I'm going to be transparent. So, so the reality is my parents bought me as a young man, um, I don't know what age, but bought me a um, Hello Kitty walker. Because I was having trouble learning how to walk. I just would not get up and do it. And it took that Hello Kitty walker. It still exists, by the way, at my parents' house. It's really funny. It's always a great story. But it took that Hello Kitty walker to actually get me to start moving around the house on my two feet and then finally learning to walk. And, and I bring that up, and it's kind of a fun story, but I bring that up. Why would my parents go to so much trouble? Because walking is important. And the reality is, is that when you fail in your mobility, when you have a challenge in your life and you cannot walk, or perhaps your child, for some reason, doesn't learn how to walk. Maybe they have a sickness or an ailment or something that prevents them from learning how to walk, right? We know the challenges that are faced when we can't get around. Maybe some of you in this room have went through a season where because of some issue in your health, you couldn't walk. It's pretty challenging, right? And the reality is, is that walking is in some ways just like breathing. When we can do it, we don't pay attention to it. 
Every day, for the most part, we that can walk around and get around okay, we take our mobility for granted. But when challenge comes, when your mobility does fail, perhaps you have trouble getting around for some ailment, sickness, maybe something wrong in your body, or perhaps you go through a moment with a child or a loved one where they can't walk, you begin to realize how important your mobility is. And in this passage, what Paul reminds us as Christians is that our walk with God is the same. The reality is, is that we as Christians must learn to walk, but also keep taking steps day by day, keep walking with God. And we must not take it for granted. And so let's look and see in Ephesians chapter four, we're gonna start in verse 17, what Paul writes to the church at Ephesus about walking. Look with me there, it says this. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you, church, must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, those without God, in their futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created in the likeness of God in the true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak with the truth with his neighbor, for we are all members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he might have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. There's a lot in this passage, in this text, and I want us to walk through it together because I think as we walk through it, you'll begin to see a picture of what it means to walk with God. And I hope by the end of the day, whether you're new to the faith, whether maybe you've walked in this morning and you're exploring who God is and what he's about, or perhaps you've been in the church all your life, that you'll see a picture of how important it is that we prioritize our walk with God the rest of our lives. So would you pray with me as we begin today and as we seek God's word this morning? God, I thank you so much for this chance to learn from your word. I thank you this summer as we get to walk through this book of Ephesians. And God, I pray as Paul writes to the church of Ephesus, God, that we here at the church in New Orleans would hear what you have for us today. God, that you'd inspire our hearts to walk with you. And God, we never give up the priority of walking with you. 
So would you help us today as we explore this text? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, so walking is important. I think I've established that this morning. Let's look together at our life lesson, what we're going to explore together, and then walk through this passage to see how it plays out. The life lesson today is this. Paul writes that Christ gives us the ability to walk with God, and then we have the responsibility to take the steps. I want you to see the importance of both of these statements. Christ gives us the ability to walk with God. We're going to talk about that at the beginning of this passage. But then ultimately, we have the responsibility to take the steps. Christ gives the ability. We have the responsibility. And there's this weird tension throughout Scripture that you see that you cannot wait to one side or the other. Christ has an amazing work. We're going to talk about it. We see in this passage. But we have a part to play when it comes to walking with God. And so let's start out by exploring what Christ did for us. You see at the beginning of this passage, he talks a lot about the Gentiles. The Gentiles were people that weren't of faith, weren't of God. At that point, the, Paul writes in a, in a Jewish sense, in the sense of nationalities, that if you were not in the Jewish community, you were outside as a Gentile. And it was presumed if you were a Gentile that you were not of faith. And so when he writes this in Ephesus, he's probably referring to the Greeks and their practice at the time. But the reality for us today is that when he writes about do not walk as the Gentiles do, we must realize this is life before Christ. And everyone in this room at some point in your life, whether you believe this or not, you were born without Christ. You did not know God. You haven't been a Christian all your life. You're not born into the family of God in that sense. Because when we're born, what we're going to see in this text is when we become into this world because of sin in this world, ultimately, sin naturally alienates us from God, crippling our walk with God. See, Paul writes this about the Gentiles because what he knows about the human condition is this, is that when we are born in this world, we are alienated from God. We are actually, as I referred to earlier, a child who never learned to walk spiritually. We are crippled. We cannot walk with God. You see in Genesis the picture of Adam and Eve walking in the garden with God. But then what happens when sin enters the world? When Adam and Eve take of the fruit, God alienates them from the garden. Now, why does God do this? Is this because he's a meanie? Is this because he just doesn't like you or I or Adam and Eve at that point? No. He does this because sin, disobedience to God, naturally alienates us from God, separates us from him. You see, God, by definition, being holy, being someone who is set apart, different from anything else in this entire world, naturally holy and pure, cannot have contact with anything that is not pure, that misses the mark, that is separated from his way. And therefore, when sin entered the world, we immediately were alienated from God. And Paul reminds us of this in this passage because he writes about the Gentiles that in the futility of their minds, the hardness of their hearts, you see in this passage, they're alienated from the life of God. And what I want you to see is this for you and I, whether you're in the church or maybe today you're exploring the faith. The reality is this, that as we move away from what God intended, our hearts grow harder and harder away from the things of God. As we let sin into our lives, whether you're a Christian in this room, this morning, maybe you've been saved by faith in Christ, get this, Christian. As you move away 
in disobedience to God, your heart grows hardened to the things of God. It's the natural result of sin on our bodies. And even us in this room that know Christ, even if you've been redeemed by faith, the reality is this, until we enter heaven, that's the reality for this broken world. Sin in our lives makes us hardened to God. This hardened heart thing is throughout the Old Testament. Maybe you remember the most famous example of Pharaoh, right? No matter what Moses did to show him that God was real and God wanted his people to be let go from Egypt, what happened? He hardened Pharaoh's heart. Pharaoh's heart grew hardened every single time. This happens throughout scripture. When we disobey God, when we don't listen to God, our hearts grow callous. And then what Paul says in this passage is not only does your heart harden, but your minds become warped. Your thinking becomes wrong. Maybe perhaps you've seen this in your life where you started to think about God in ways that weren't true according to scripture. Perhaps you begin to believe a lie about God that wasn't true, but in that moment where you allowed your heart to grow hardened, you start to believe things you never thought you'd believe. Or perhaps you've seen this in others' life, people that don't know God, that don't walk according to his way, and you see their thinking sometimes and you wonder, why in the world do they think this way? Why in the world would they ever believe this way? Well, Paul writes that it's because our callous hearts influence our mind and what he writes kindly as ignorance, ignorance of God. This is not some rude word. What he's saying is that they ultimately, their minds don't know God. So I know this is a little heavy, but I want to set the stage for it because this is the result of our world. As you look around the world sometimes and you wonder, why is it this way? Why do these people say these things? Why am I treated this way? Why do I do these things that I don't want to do? This is because ultimately from the day one of the world being created, mankind broke from God. And ultimately we became crippled in our walk with God. Instead of walking in the sweetness of the garden, in the coolness of the breeze, directly with our maker, instead we chose to not walk, to be crippled, to, to want our own way. And therefore, we would not walk with God because our way is the best way. And that's what you see in verses 17 through 20 is, is Paul kind of sits the stage by saying the futility of their minds and the countenance of their hearts, ultimately, they are choosing themselves over their walk with God. And so as we start today, I want to set the stage before you because ultimately, here's what the bad news is. You can't walk with God on your own. You can't get there on your own. There's no amount of muscle that you can put to your faith life that gets you there. You can't just muscle it up and figure it out. There had to be a way made for us to learn to walk with God. The good news is that a way was made. And that's in the next part. The next part, starting in verse 20, is, is Paul writes, that is not the way you learned of Christ, right? And what we see throughout Scripture, what we know to be true, is that Jesus miraculously heals our bodies. Not, now he did this for cripples, right, in the, in the New Testament, but he's not doing that necessarily physically for us, but he heals us by renewing our walk with God. He allows us to begin to walk with God. When Jesus died and rose from the grave, he entered the scene to allow you to begin to walk, to give you a way. Now, I say this is miraculous because these pictures 
of the crippled man by the pool, right, that Jesus heals is a physical picture of what spiritually it is for us when we accept Christ, when we choose to walk with Jesus by faith. Here is the good news of the picture. You're pulled up from your mat. You're given the ability to begin to take steps just like the babies before us, either whether you want to think about the silly picture of me or your kids, the babies that begin to take those steps and the dad's going, yes, come on to me, come on. Like when Jesus enters the scene, we begin to walk. We have the ability by faith to begin to take steps. And that is good news for us. So if you're here today and you've never heard this, let me make clear for you. Following Jesus Christ, choosing to actively accept him into your life is the only way that you can take a step spiritually. It's the only way you can begin true new life by the renewal of your walk with God. And if you have accepted Christ today, let me tell you why I'm harping on this for a second. Is because if you at one point in your life ever think you've been beyond the gospel of Jesus Christ, you are fooling yourself, Christian. The gospel is for every single day. The salvific work of Christ is for you to remind yourself day after day. Never get over what Jesus did for you. I don't care how long you've been in the faith. Allow the renewal of the gospel of Christ to enter your heart today and renew and restore your commitment to Jesus. It is good news that we can walk. Don't take it for granted. Don't just treat it as if it is normal. It is not normal to walk this way. This is unique. This is something Jesus did that is unique. And so what I wrote is this. This is kind of my fun. I want you to remember this. If you want to learn how to walk with God, the reason we go to Jesus is because our hearts kind of need a spa day. All right. So if you've ever had callous feet or hands or something, you know what I'm talking about, right? So we've got this picture of the hard heart. I want you to get this imagery for a second. Your heart is hardened. It's callous is that word. It means that your heart has, has grown hard to the things of God, right? And in sin, that's what happens as we disobey God. This protective layer to the things of God grows around your heart. And the only spa that can fix that that can scrape off that hardness and allow your heart to receive what God wants to do is if you take it to the spa of Jesus. If you allow it to be healed by the water that washes us clean. I'll remind you of an old hymn. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's vein and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. The only thing that can treat your heart is the blood of Jesus, the spa of Jesus Christ. He can remove the calluses from your heart, whether you need to do that for the first time today or whether you've been in faith all your life. Jesus today can remove those calluses that you're building up and allow you to be sensitive to the heart of God, to understand what God wants for you. And let me just be real honest and transparent. We all need that. No matter if we are in the faith and we've already decided to walk with Jesus, guess what? The cares of this world constantly want to build up a hardness to things of God. And yes, it does it in my heart too. I mean, this last year of what we've been through, if you're not careful, you can build up some major calluses to the things that God wants you to see. And even if it's not, maybe in your life from a national perspective, maybe you're just going through some really hard things. 
And your, your mind wants you to do it your way. Your heart wants to build up calluses because you don't trust God to pull through for you, to bring you through whatever you're going through. If you're not careful, you'll miss out on the spa of Jesus Christ. And instead, you'll build up a wall around your heart. Let me just encourage you. Remember the fountain filled with blood. Let it wash away your guilty stains day after day after day after day until you enter heaven. Just like all this great rain that always hits us in New Orleans every single day, right? Washes it all away. That's what we need. We have got to remember this. You have got to wonder and, and, and awe at the fact that Jesus can wash us clean. Renew your commitment to God. So with all that being said, all right, we know sin's the problem. For most of us in this room, maybe you know that Jesus is the solution. Well, then how, on a day-by-day -day basis, do we choose to walk with God? Beyond just some time sitting alone, thinking about Jesus, like how do we do this? This is what Paul writes, and this is kind of the beefiest part of the passage in verse 25. He starts on this list. I want to read it again. Because it's a pretty dense list of things. Therefore, all right, which means all this being said, therefore do this, right? Therefore, this is Paul's big climax to this part of the text. Having put away falsehood, let each one speak truth with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down in your anger. Give no opportunity to the devil. Then the next part, let the thief no longer steal, but let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands. All right, then no, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only as good to build others up. Then he says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God. We could spend three sermons on that. We're not going to go there today, all right? Um, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from among you, all malice. Be kind, tenderhearted forgiving one another, all right? So there's this huge list of things to do. And as our, I got to this part, we struggle sometimes in our modern church because what I just went through with Jesus, right, is great. You all want that, right? The grace of God over our lives. But then Paul says, here's your responsibility. Well, how does that play out in the context of grace? What I wrote down was, we have to be obedient, that obedience consistently sanctifies, I'll explain that church word, us, empowering our walk with God. So you've got sin, cripples us, Jesus makes the way, but then there's this third thing that's really hard. And that is that we are called to be obedient so that we might be sanctified. Sanctified means becoming more like Christ, becoming more like God. That bow of old would not look like bow of old, but he would look more like God until one day he enters eternity. That's what sanctification, the whole process is. And, and it, ultimately the sanctification of our lives, the obedience in our lives, it, it gives us the ability to keep walking with God every day. That is what the fuel, so to speak, to your car is. I'm mixing metaphors a little bit, but that's the fuel, is obedience. And so how, I ask this question before we get into that text. How does this play out with grace? 
Because I'll be real honest with you, in, in the Protestant church in particular, we want to stay away from religion, right? That's what the church was established for, is to get rid of all these rules and religiosity and fakeness in the church. And yes, live under the great grace of Christ that says, I will take you just as you are. But yet, if we're not careful, we substitute the real grace of Christ for a cheap grace. And I thought I'd read something for you. It's, it's from a really old work from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He was a pastor in the midst of the Nazi movement in Germany. And he fought against them and ended up being hung because he went against Hitler. And in the midst of all that, he wrote this great book called The Cost of Discipleship. And in that, he has one section that I, I really wasn't going to read it. But the reality is his words are so eloquent, I think it would do you better to hear from him than some version of me relaying it. But he talks about this idea of cheap grace versus costly grace. And this idea of how does obedience play out with the grace of God? How does this all work together? How does Christ do something but that we still have responsibilities? How does that work? Let me read this for you if you'd indulge me for a second. I just want to read this one part of the passage. It really inspired my heart. It says this. Costly grace, on the other hand, opposite of cheap grace, is like the treasure hidden in the field. For the sake of it, a man will gladly go and sell all that he has. It is the kingly rule of Christ for the sake a man will pluck out his eye when it causes him to stumble. It is the call of Jesus Christ with which the disciples leave their nets, their income, their provision to follow him. Costly grace is the gospel which must be sought out again and again. The gift which must be asked for, the door at which the man must knock. He's referencing Matthew 7 there. Such grace is costly because it calls us to follow. And it is grace because it calls us to follow Jesus Christ. It is costly because it costs a man his life. And it is grace because it gives a man the only true life. It is costly because it condemns sin and grace because it justifies a sinner. Above all, it is costly because it costs God the life of his son. You were bought at a price, says 1 Corinthians 6.20. And, and what has cost God much cannot be cheap for us. Costly grace is the incarnation of God. Costly grace is the sanctuary of God. It has to be protected from the world. It is therefore the living word, the word of God, which he speaks as it pleases him. Costly grace confronts us as a gracious call to follow Jesus. It comes as a word of forgiveness to the broken spirit and the contrite heart. Grace is costly because it compels a man to submit to the yoke of Christ and follow him. It is grace because Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's Matthew 11. You see, as he talks about costly grace, this tension that we as Christians must grasp. And if anything I say today you could grasp when it comes to walking, I want you to hear this because you may not have heard this before. The grace of God relieves all burden. If you're burdened today, Jesus is there for you. No matter how messed up you are, Jesus is approachable. He has come for you. But yet... It is costly grace because of how much Jesus did on the cross 
and the power of his resurrection, then he comes to you broken and says, yes, I come to all. But that means you must give up your old life. You cannot live as you once did. You cannot be the same today as you was yesterday. You must give it all up to follow me. Paul echoes that in this passage because he says to, to you and I, you cannot look like those around you, the culture around you. You can't do it. You can't. The grace of Christ is there so that you might grow. And so I hope today if you're burdened, you hear me, Christ is there for you. His, his grace is here for you. And all he asks you to do is take on a new yoke to put off the burdens of this world and take on the burden of Christ, the obedience we're talking about here, which he promises, as Bonhoeffer reminds us in Scripture, his yoke is easy and his burden is truly light. So as we look at this list for a second, I just want you to see this is what Christ calls us to, to walk with God. But the reward of walking with God is so much lighter than carrying on a way of behavior that is not of Christian life. And so he gives us some things. I just want to talk about them for a second and we'll be done. Some reminders. Obedience with Christ. If you want to walk with God, use this point as a little self-evaluation for your life this morning. I did it for myself as I was preparing. First is this, truth. How much are you lying on a daily basis? Are your lies causing your heart to be hardened? And by the way, lying is not just a mistruth, saying something that's not true. It also is living a way, trying to put on an image that is not who you really are. When he talks about not being deceitful with your neighbor, right? You know what he's talking about. I mean, you can walk out your front door, say hi to your neighbor, and look all everything's good while there's a fight going on in the house, right? Amen? Oh, I'm sorry. That's my, my life, I guess, sometimes. Um, right? I mean, we can look good, but yet we're lying if we try to deceive and show that we're better somehow than we really are. That grows our callousness. So if you want to become less callous, the spa of Christ is there to bring you into truth. To not have these walls up of lies. To not be spinning just so you survive the next day. But instead, speaking truth. In love. Then he talks about this. This is real convicting if you struggle with anger. Anger with no sin. How does that happen, right? Well, there is a righteous anger. You can be upset about things that are against the character of God. You can. If you see things that are going on in this world, you can be upset about them. But you can't sin. You can't allow it to take you into action that is against. You can't be so righteously angry about something that it brings you into action that is against the way of God. It just doesn't work. He says, and this is the real challenging part, let no, no sun go down on your anger. You been there? It's tempting, right? Just to sleep it away and wake up and know all the problem with the anger will be gone, right? No, instead, he reminds us, this is from Psalms 4.4. 4. The psalmist writes, be angry, do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your own beds and be silent. Don't let it go down. That's what he's referencing. Don't let it go into the next day. Instead, deal with your anger and deal with what you've done before the sun goes down. And then he talks about stealing and labor. And here's the hard part. He, he reminds the Christian that we should be the best at our work. If you haven't been watching on Wednesdays, let me just tell you, you need to go back and watch all the YouTube series about people in this church talking about their work and how it plays into their faith. 
We had a great series so far. We got a few videos left. But it reminds us in this passage that part of our obedience to Christ is that we actually work. We actually do things with our lives that are productive. Now, it doesn't mean you go to a job. You could have other work in your life. It's being productive in this world. You can also, by the way, be a thief and never steal something physically. You ever sat around at work when your boss is expecting you to do something? It's called time theft. They're paying you to do something and you're not doing it, right? You can also, in your laziness, steal when you never intended to. So you got to understand that we as Christians are called to be productive in this world, to make a difference in our jobs. It's not just about singing kumbaya in the church all the time, that actually when you leave this place and go to work tomorrow, that your labor and your obedience in that represents Christ and empowers your walk with God. It's a part of being a Christian. Uplifting speech. He talks about this fact that don't let any bad speech. That's not just cursing. People a lot of times read that and think, well, I shouldn't curse. No, he says, only speak what is good for building up. Uh Uh-oh. Only build others up in your speech. That's really hard on a day-to-day basis, right? Especially if you're in charge of people or maybe you've got kids in the home. Like, how do you use your speech in a way that builds them up and doesn't tear them down? It's hard. But as we do these things, what Paul is telling us is that our callous heart, Christian, will continue to be at bay and our steps will be with God. And then lastly, he writes this big thing about no bitterness, no clamor, no anger, no malice. But yet he compares it with kindness, tenderhearted. There's the callousness again, right? Be tenderhearted. So he has that thing going throughout. And then ultimately forgiveness. Now, you've heard this, but I'm going to remind you. Forgiveness as Christ forgave you. So he ends the passage. He starts it off by reminding us of what Christ did. All right. So that fountain filled with blood that everybody amen when I said washes you as clean, right? That he gave to you freely. He's saying in this passage that for you to walk with God, you've got to extend forgiveness just like Christ did. And that's hard. Maybe the hardest thing I've said this morning that when someone wrongs you and they're not asking, you still have to extend forgiveness in your heart. Why? Because it will prevent you from becoming callous. Instead of letting the wrongs in your life grow you callous to God, the wrongs in your life will become part of a story of how Jesus has moved you beyond that, of how Christ has let you overcome that. And listen, as an example, I see this, like I, I'm going crazy because this week I should have been in Romania and we, we didn't do it for a lot of good reasons, but I, I just want to bring this as an example today. I see these kids in Romania and they have more wrongs done to them than most of you will ever have done in like your entire lifetime. They have it done in like a week. And I don't say that to demean if you're going through something, I don't at all. I just want you to get a picture of what these orphans go through. And what I see is is two different stories in their lives. The ones that embrace Jesus, and that's beyond a one-week team, by the way. That's them choosing to follow Christ and to, to persevere in the midst of us having to leave and not see them for years, you know. But the ones that fall in love with Jesus, that wrongness that's done in their lives, that calloused wall begins to break down that they built around their heart. The saddest part of the story is I I, I see them all the time through social media and things like that. 
and there's ones that choose to just ignore the message of Christ. And what happens, just like for you and I, what happens is that hardness continues in their life. The cycle never ends. They stay in poverty. They stay abused. They stay repeating the same mistakes because their hearts are so hardened. And the reason I bring them as examples, I want you to see very, very, very clearly this morning. That could be you or I. You can allow, even though your life may be a lot prettier than what I described, you can allow the callousness of your heart to build up. You cannot be tender-hearted to the things of God, not receive the things God's trying to tell you to do. And I don't want that for any of you. Because there's a famous poem I want to close with, and it says this. You may know this. One night I dreamed a dream as I was walking along the beach with my Lord. Across the dark sky flashed scenes from my life. For each scene I noticed two sets of footprints in the sand. One belonging to me, one to my Lord. After the last scene of my life flashed before me, I looked back at the footprints and I noticed that at many times along the path of my life, especially in the lowest and saddest times, there was only one set of footprints. This troubled me. So I asked the Lord about it. Lord, you once said that if I decided to follow you, you'd walk with me all the way. But I noticed that during the saddest and most troublesome times of my life, there was only one set of footprints. I don't understand when I needed you the most, why you would ever leave me. God whispered, my precious child, I love you and will never leave you. Never ever during your trials and testings. When you saw only one set of footprints, it was then that I carried you. You've heard this. You probably have heard this at one point. And, and a lot of times we focus on when God's carrying us. And if you're here today and you're going through a low point, I want you to see that God is there to carry you. But for this message day, I want you to see the most important part. For God to carry you, you've got to choose to walk with him in the first place. Like for him to be able to pick you up, you can't leave him. You've got to stay obedient to what he's called you to do. Because if your life's okay right now, that's the temptation point for you to go calloused and to kind of move on or just do your life as normal. And instead, I want to challenge you this morning, walk with God. Remember the blood of Jesus and allow his, his blood to cleanse your heart and keep it tender. And continue to take the responsibility in your own life to be obedient, to do what he's asked you to do. And as you do that, he promises, just like this poem says, then the low points of your life, when life really gets tough, and it does, he'll carry you. He'll carry you along the way. He's that good of a God. He loves you. He's for you. And I hope you understand the big picture of this passage that Paul's telling the church at Ephesus. God wants to walk with you. He wants to walk with you. All he asks for us is to choose obedience. Choose life. Yes, choose costly grace. And in that, find the path for your life. Will you pray with me? With every head bow and every eye closed, whether you're in the room today or perhaps you're watching this online, I want to challenge you to bow your head and close your eyes. 
for a moment reflect on your life. And perhaps today there's someone in this room or someone watching online that would say, I need to follow Jesus. I need to take that first step. What I want you to see this morning is that costly grace means it's not just some easy thing we say one time and then we go on with our week. Instead, you're saying, I'm going to lay down my life. Yes, all the baggage, but also all the behavior. And I'm going to choose to convert my life and follow Jesus. And it's simple. It's simple. All you have to do is pray to God and ask him to save you. And he will. You'd pray a prayer, something like this. And that's the desire of your heart. I'd challenge you to pray this in your heart along with me. Jesus, I realize today that I need you. So Jesus, I turn over my old life. I get rid of my old self and I choose to follow you today. God, thank you for saving me. And today I want to walk with you the rest of my life. Whether you prayed that prayer or something like that, if you prayed it, today you're a child of God. You're saved. And in that, whether you prayed that prayer, perhaps you've done it before and you are a Christian in this room, I just want you to take a moment as we conclude our service to evaluate and reflect on what you've heard today. Perhaps in that moment, you wanna ask God to remove some of the calluses of your heart that have been building up. Perhaps you need to ask God to carry you because you're going through something. Perhaps, you need to ask God to help you recommit your life to following him by obedience. Just in this moment, talk with God and then I'll pray and we'll move into our next moment of worship. God, I just ask you to hear the prayers of your people. Hear their hearts, their desires, their burdens, God. The things that they walked in this morning and they're struggling with. And I ask you to continually wash their hearts with the blood of Jesus. Not just bad behavior, but any calluses that are building up. Seen or unseen, God, would you take them away? so that they might be sensitive to the ways in which you are calling them. God, I thank you so much for your word and its power to convict our hearts. And I pray today that every single person that came in this room would leave here walking a little bit closer to you this week and in the days to come. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.